Hello, I'm J.R. Woodward, where I'm joined on our social landscape by Jason Williamson, half of the British punk band Sleaford Mods. There are a lot of descriptions of the band out there, but I kind of like how Timothy Monger described them. Quote, Combining the revolutionary fury of punk and hip-hop with the bleakness of austerity-era Great Britain, Sleaford Mods capture the spirit of their time with blunt eloquence. Andrew Fern's minimalistic loops, guitars, and keyboards provide a fitting backdrop as Jason Williamson rants about politics, injustice, and pop culture with outrage, scathing humor, and every so often rough-edged poignancy, end quote. I don't know exactly how to explain rough-edged poignancy, but I think I heard about an hour of it when we talked. We started with a quick description of his music, then moved on to some temporal issues in the UK and the US. We talked about gender, social class, and race, as well as his thoughts on the United States as an outside but astute observer. Like many of my interviews, we end with a view to the future, as bleak as it may seem at times. We spoke towards the end of August as America gears up for our midterm elections, with the vitriol already spewing from our two so-called political parties. Election cycles bring out the worst in American politics, and maybe at some point I'll interview someone who tells me that, hey, everything's going to be okay. Just breathe easy and it'll work out. But Jason Williamson is not that person, and we both find ourselves battling despair in search of hope. I hope you enjoy our talk as much as I did. Also, it's kind of a time a time journal. You know, I have a young son who's eight, and uh, you know he's already lived through fucking. Trump and COVID, you know, he's already lived through so much stuff. So when he gets older, you know, hopefully, like I, I have two daughters that are in their twenties, and we can sit and get together and okay. talk, talk trash. But the eight-year-old, he doesn't really get it all. So sure. when he's older and I'm dead and gone, he can kind of go back and see what was going on in the world, and uh, you know, and he'll hear your voice on there too. So I do appreciate uh, you taking. How, uh, how have your daughters uh, taken to COVID and and? Uh, the last 10 years of, uh, I mean, your country's been in the throes as well, hasn't it? More so yeah. probably for the last five or six, seven years, I don't know. But, right. um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the sense of shocking politics up front, you know, nobody's hiding anything anymore. Sure. How, and, how are they getting on? It, oh, the, <clears throat> the girls, the daughters. Um, the older one, she's 25, and she's pretty uh-huh. progressive. She, she's, uh-huh. uh, she, she didn't go to school, but she, to college, she might one day, but she's a bartender, which is close to being... Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Uh, and so she's real active on it. She pays a lot of attention to it. The 22-year-old, she models out in L.A. Okay. And she kind of pays attention tangentially, but uh-huh. her worldview is, is a little different, you know. Sure, the, sure, uh, sure, sure. And sure. the 8-year-old, he doesn't really know much different. You know, he was in kindergarten when we started lockdown. So, okay. Um, so kind of right off the bat, how will you define your music? Like, how do you describe your music? Because I, I wanted to look it up for this question. Uh-huh. Uh, All Music says British rap punk duo. Wikipedia says English post-punk music duo. The Guardian called you electronic punk music duo. You uh-huh. know, you meet a parents of one of your kids' friends at school, and they say, oh, what do, you, what do you do? And I assume you say I'm a musician, and they say, what kind of music? What do you say? How do you, how do you define it? Uh, punk rock, I'd say. You know, okay, I, think so you it's, I think it's like the classic... Uh, it's got the class. It's got the traits of the um, first first wave of uh, 
uh, UK punk rock, especially. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. we're English primarily, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I think a lot of things about the the mid seventies first wave UK in in England anyway. Um, the music was pretty similar to what had, what had influenced it uh, in the sense of you know it was a, a big melting pot of Bowie, Roxy music. Do you know what I mean? Uh, New York Dolls, Stooges. Mm-hmm. All of those interesting things that weren't quite on the, uh, you know, that were quite at the centre of culture. You know, they were on the yeah. outer fringes. Of, you know, but, but, apart from Bowie, you know, probably. Right. But right. Um, um, and, and to a certain degree, Roxy Music. But I think uh, as regards to, the, you know, the vocal, um, it's definitely, it, it follows the traditions of that of that period you know what i mean sure so the post-punk might not really be a uh i think i think no i I don't know i think because we started using bass as the as the you know as the major instrument it was bass-led music okay but that that was because i was influenced by people like tulo swordsman andrew weatherall keith tenniswood who Uh who were influenced by post-punk uh, but I was never it just, you know, I was aware of it, but it just wasn't, it didn't bother me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, over the last about 15 years, I think you all have formed in 2006 or seven. Uh, yeah. how, your music has changed a little, do you think in terms of lyrics, topics, concerns? And I say that cause I heard you say on an interview that your life situations changed over the years. So yeah. how has that, how's that influenced what you're trying to say in your songs? Uh, well, I become more. Um, uh, I initially became more uh, aware of uh, misogyny, of my attitude towards women, uh, and and why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I started looking into that, and um, I became more aware of how damaging that was to just simply talk about women as sexual objects and sexual goals. Mm-hmm. or previous sexual conquests, you know, uh, and started started to try and view women as as I would view men. Okay. Uh, uh, and so that was one thing. Um, obviously, I became richer. Me and Andrew got more money. <laughs> um, I became more intelligent, I think. Huh? I started reading a lot more. I became more conscientious generally. I became more class conscious. Uh, and these things um, changed the music uh, and made it more outwardly expressive of all these things. Whereas before, when I first started it, it was just a reaction to what was going on around me. Okay. Um, and I don't think I was wildly off the scale. I was. I'm not a woman hater. I don't. I, I never thought I was that. I was just like your average lad who went out, did drugs. Mm-hmm. And got his, you know, got his leg over when he could. Was mm-hmm. not very responsible about anything, right? Uh, and didn't have a lot of education about anything. I was brought up in the state system, uh, comprehensive school. Um, I didn't learn anything. I got expelled from school. Uh, it wasn't until I decided to go back to college uh, that um, I started to then learn about things such as playwrights, uh, such as, I don't know, um, resistance, sociological resistance, uh, in small pockets anyway, you know. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you say you're more class conscious now because it seems like your earlier stuff had a consciousness, but maybe the class is different. 
Um, yeah, I, I was I, never. I didn't know what. Class, but... I didn't know what class consciousness was until about 2014, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then it people kept saying it, and so I looked it up. And obviously, you you are aware of your standing, and you have an an understanding of the political situation you're in because everything is political. Sure. Um, and, you know, it, of course it is. So, okay. yeah. I think before it was just a reaction and energy and I couldn't understand why I was upset all the time. Uh, I couldn't understand why it, I wasn't living uh, a life that a lot of people I knew were, you know. Right, right. In, in 2021, in an interview, you said, I've kind of switched jobs, so I've switched the subject matter slightly. It would be a little insulting for me to pin myself to the street anymore. Yeah, you feel that's true, but uh, do you have to be pinned to the street, still living that life, to be able to talk about it poignantly and effectively? You know, I remember some arguing with someone years ago about Rage Against the Machine, saying, yeah. "Well, they're selling their records and they're selling their T-shirts, so they've, you know, they are the machine." And I thought, you know, that's I don't I think you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I don't sure. know. You have to. Do you really have to still live that life to be able to talk about it? Or do you think, no, if I'm not there and I'm not in that daily grind that I used to be, that I don't have a valid way, a valid uh, voice to describe it? No, I think there's two sides to this. It always pays if you're in the moment with lobbyist music. It always pays if you are in the moment and if you are articulate, if you are married to, to the message, if you are aware of it. And if you're in the job of creativity, it always pays to connect all of those things and um, and make music that talks about that. I don't think there's any other music you can make, really. Mm-hmm. Um, not now, anyway. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I wouldn't I wouldn't try and suggest that I was still feeling. Um, oppressed by a minimum wage job because I'm not. So there are different ways to communicate your oppression. I think that's what I meant with that. Gotcha. It's um, it's and it, but it's also finding the different levels. It's like there is obviously a lot. There's a lot more pleasure in being middle class than there is working class. <laughs> right, absolutely. Of course, there is, but but <laughs> right. nobody gets away with it. And then it's like it is, it is being aware of that and trying to communicate your experiences on a day-to-day basis in that environment. And, you know, that's the name of the game. That's the beauty of creative creativity. It's right. not going to give you it for nothing. Right. You know, you've got, to, you've got to work fucking hard for it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but if you have come from, you know, I haven't come from fuck all. You know, my family wasn't poor, poor. You know, I come from a working class family, sure. but you know, my 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 uh, real father was a, a paramedic. Uh, my stepfather was a successful builder, um, but we are. I would like to think of myself as coming from that background, mm-hmm. and that never leaves you. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody else asked me a question the other day. You know, when you talk to a true blood middle class person, and there's nothing wrong with them. I'm not having a go. It, you you know there is a fucking difference you know right. there just for, is for sure uh, in the way they talk um yep. the pace of their responses their wit their outlook their education all of those things are on a slightly different tier yeah. you know uh, that's just how it is 
Um, and and I, I, I'm not on that tier, even though I'm, I'm, I'm completely, you know, no, I've got a brain like a Venus flytrap. It's completely open now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's taking all these fucking things in and devouring them and, and processing it. And, right. and I've become a bigger person for it. But, you know, there is, there is a, a cultural difference, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's one that uh, it doesn't leave you, you know. And you can either be embarrassed about it or you, or you can just not be bothered about it. And I think a lot of working class people that go into the wider world who gentrify their accents, who become, uh, statistically speaking, middle class, mm-hmm. do forget because they're just not interested. It's just not on their radar, you know. Right, right. right. I like that Venus flytrap analogy. You know, I always think of like a sponge, but I like the, the Venus flytrap. Sure, flytrap. sure. That's a well, good we, were, we were looking at some the other day in a plant shop, you know, and they're fucking... Oh, yeah. They're just, you know, that, that's what they are, and you know what I mean. It's like, look, yeah. this is what I am. I'm not evil. It's, it's just how it is, you know. <laughs> yeah, we had a little one. My son got one when he was like five or six. Little one. Okay. They sit in like peat. I guess they kind of float in like a little water peat moss thing. Sure, sure. And he used to put all kind of shit in there and see if it would close. You know, he's, <laughs> he was kind of creeped out about it, but yeah, he really he yeah, liked it too. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, uh, moving to maybe just a little bit more of, of our times now. Um, in the same interview, I think, uh, the interviewer did a word association game with you, which I don't plan to do, but it was kind of funny. And when he said America, you said, all right. Yeah. So do you follow much about what's going on in America? I think non-Americans follow America a lot more than Americans follow probably anything because we tend to just <laughs> follow. You know, we're kind of – I mean, everybody's ethnocentric, but I think Americans kind of really focus just on us. Um, but as someone who has you know strong opinions about contemporary – social political issues what do you make of the goings-on in america now um well, it's such a big country isn't it i think i've only just getting to know it for one thing and you know you go to the big cities all the major cities and every one of them has got the same traits that all the major cities have got over here mm-hmm. there's large areas gentrified Lots of places that look destitute but are run by people that are quite wealthy, appropriating some kind of DIY aesthetic. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. All of that's going on over here as well. But at the same time, you have got large portions of the population that are, you know, working class, for want of a better word, who are completely cut off from it all, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Uh, not only cut off from the day to day, but the, the the reality, the real day to day. But from education, um, I mean, I, what I found in America was it's much tougher. It's a bit like an open prison in a lot of respects. Yeah. Um, yeah. That the, the 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 conformist plan, the conformist blueprint, the rhythms of capitalism, the rhythms of conformity are so much stronger. Um, you just felt it like every other house has got a, uh, uh, you know, stars and stripes flag hanging out of it. And, right, you right. know, you know, somebody once said to me, what's wrong? We love in your country. I think everything because mm-hmm. you're loving it for the wrong reasons. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You should be loving people, not your country. Your country's just somewhere where you fucking live. Yeah. I and think, it, I think Oscar Wilde said patriotism is a virtue of the vicious. Completely and utterly, you know, and it, it it's, it's just, it's a vehicle for hatred, obviously, and I think a lot of people take to it because of that. But 
Um, I, I, it's, but how can you govern somewhere like America? And I know, I know that it has been governed and is governed uh, rather viciously, mm-hmm. uh, and has been re- regardless of whether it's you know a Democrat or whether it's uh, a Republican. I mean, I'm not too hot on it, but the way I see it is, it seems a lot more oppressive than it is over here. You know what I mean? Yeah, we've just got a lazy aristocracy. That that the the lower classes are happy to follow, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over in your place, the country's so fucking big mm-hmm. that the rule that the iron fist has to rule, doesn't it, to a certain degree? Right. We don't have we have some of the problems, but without the safety nets, you know, we don't we don't have the totally and utterly. Like we we have problems like everybody else, but we just don't have the many things in place to. You know, to help them, really. you don't have you, the welfare system, healthcare for mm-hmm. a start. Things that over here we take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, that that just buckles you for a start. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a tough one. I, I, I don't have any. Um, I don't have any uh, sympathies for people that uh, want to make America great again. I mean, that's just stupid. Right. Uh, I, I can't believe people would be willing to take to the streets for somebody like Donald Trump. It's just insane. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a real odd one, isn't it? Um, yeah, because I, you know, I think there's some similarities. I, I'm sure. I, you know, I was gonna kind of go that route too. Just you know, globally, you know, Trump and Brexit and all these things that have happened over the years. You know, if there was a a starting point to that, I mean, do we just say neoliberalism and leave it at that, or? Reagan and Thatcher like was it starting before then or was that really the key to it but it seems I would like to think at least that all the the I don't know the callousness and viciousness we see here is not just in America although it's probably worse than many places uh, but it's maybe start a, a more global economic path I'm just I don't know I don't I don't want to uh, I don't want to be exceptional say America's exceptional but um, I think we have issues that many other countries share. We just feel them stronger here. And I wonder why that has happened. The right-wing movement in Germany, you know, a lot of other places are this quote-unquote populism, you know, but it's really a a bastardization of the term populism. So I've talked to a number of people over the last year or two, just, you know, trying to figure out, like, I wonder when that started. Because you said a minute ago, make America great again. When was America really great, right? So back... In the day when black people were, you know, couldn't vote and women couldn't get a credit card without their husband's approval, like what are you really looking for, you know, to go back to? So it's a it's a tough question because I don't really think there's a perfect answer, but I think I've talked to a few people that kind of narrow it down to that 70s, 1970s, and the the rise of neoliberalism, and then you know Reagan, at least in this country, kind of took it to another level, but. I don't. I don't really have the answer, but that's why I was talking to you because you. You know, you're supposed to have. Yeah, the- I, think, I think. I don't know. I mean, the free market's been around since the dawn of capitalism. Capitalism, hasn't it? So, I mean, neoliberalism is renowned for for letting the guard down on lots of things that I don't really truly understand in the world of business, but also for promoting the idea of the free market. But the free market's been around since capitalism started, surely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Business incentive has been around since the dawn of time, surely. I just think people got greedier, didn't they? And I think think that neoliberalism was just uh, the next level consciousness of that, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you had you had Margaret Thatcher who truly believed that 
you know, pennies don't come from heaven, which is, you know, the, the, one of the great Tory uh, uh, sound bites, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, her father, well, Margaret Thatcher comes from my hometown in Grantham, and her father was renowned, a renowned bastard. Um, he was uh, he was on the board of the um, fuck me, forgot what they're called now. Um, the secret society thing. Yeah, I forgot what, uh, I forgot what the Masons. The Masons. There we go. He was he was he was on the board of the Freemasons in Grantham, uh, but he ran a tight ship with his grocery store. He ra- he ran a fruit and veg store, and he would only give credit to people who paid their money on time he was a stern businessman he wasn't firm but fair he was just firm (laughs) Uh, and i think this is where margaret got it from you know what i mean Mm -hmm. the idea that nobody nobody puts food on your table apart from you which is fine uh but but it doesn't you know there's no compassion in that and i think that ran through a politics and i think i think also with reagan I don't know. I'm not. I'm not really a, a massive expert, but he, he, he was just a bit of a bastard, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, a bit of a, an emotionless, um, uh, merciless bastard. Um, so the two things combined. I mean, that's this is what you get, don't you? You mm-hmm. get a new consciousness, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Elocution. Elocution. I wish I had the time to be a wanker just like you And maybe then I'd be somewhere lovely and warm just like you Alright, so you've talked uh, you've talked in songs, interviews a little bit here about social class, but also race. Do you see a link between what's happening in, in our social world racially and in terms of social class? Can we separate those out or do they need to be understood within the context of each other? Um Yeah. I, I mean it's really hard with racism. I come from a small town and have been largely racist my whole life, you know, not an outward racist, Mm -hmm. but I think subconsciously it's been programmed into me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't know what rice and peas or jerk chicken were until I was about 25. So that gives you an idea of my consciousness towards black culture, Caribbean culture, uh, you know, with with those things. But um, yeah, it's only when I moved to Nottingham, which is a largely, uh, uh, which has got quite a big black community that I started to be introduced to these things. But yeah, it's not good, is it? It's uh, it's not good at all. Uh, every every black person I know, bar the odd one or two, struggles. Do you know what I mean? Sure, sure. Uh, and I'm sure the ones that aren't financially struggling still struggle because you've still got you've still got the barrier, the Great Wall of Racism in front of you, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I think of course that's that's connected to it. Of course it is. Uh, I live in a a nice leafy middle class area, and there's no black people here. Right. right. Uh, there's some brown people, but there's no black people. So that says all of it, and it's not changed, does it? 
No, it's tough. I live seven blocks from the beach here in Jacksonville Beach, and uh-huh. my kid goes to almost an exclusively white school. There's just, you know, there's just not much. You know, there there's are much. there are sociologists who say if you address social class, it's kind of like the rising tide lifts all boats kind of things, like fix some of these social class. We need social class unity of workers, whether they're black or white. Other people say, well, no, you experience your your social class differently depending on your race and you experience your race differently depending on your social class. And so some people are like, no, let's put it all together. And other people are like, no, we need to still have these identity divisions in, in our, you know, our quote unquote struggle going forward. So it's, a, you know, it's not like a brand new concept. People have been discussing this forever, but I wanted to hear your thoughts because I know you've, you know, you've given thought to both class issues and some race issues. A little bit, a little bit, but I'm very wary uh, uh, of even opening my mouth because I still, you know, frequent the pathetic umbrella of, uh, of, of guilt, mm-hmm. of, of white guilt, mm-hmm. of, um, of just that, um, you know. Yeah. It's, and you, you, you can hear it in my voice now, you know. Yeah, it's, it's like, not easy to talk about. Yeah. It's not easy to talk about. I got accused of having a largely racist audience uh, by by a, a black friend a while back who I don't speak to anymore, who I just absolutely lost my shit with, and just accused him of being jealous. <laughs> and he said, and he just said, "That's I knew you'd say that." Uh, it's a typical white response, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, and it is rough, but you know, to a large degree, he's fucking right. I mean, yeah, I mm-hmm. think he's a bit. He was being a bit of a wanker, sure. Uh, but at the same time, he's right. You yeah. know what can you say? Yeah, um, it's hard work. It's fucking hard work. And um, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. You have to be vocal in every area. I think, and you have to dedicate your time to it to 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 stand there and go, well, I'm I'm fighting against it, and I don't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, all right, well, I know we're getting close to your time, um, so let me whatever ask, as long as you want, man. No we'll, worries. We'll, we'll go an easier one now. I started interviewing artists in different mediums: painters, musicians, writers, poets, because I came across a Joni Mitchell quote. Joni Mitchell, the singer, but also she's a painter. And I read uh-huh. somewhere she considers herself a painter first, which is... Oh, really? Uh, that's cool. what she says, yeah. But she said, when the world becomes a massive mess with nobody at the helm, it's time for artists to make their mark. So I started, uh, that's an interesting quote, right? So I started asking people about that, and that's what brought me to you. But then I heard an interview recently where you said, I'm not the person I was 10 years ago writing about being a job seeker. So what am I, and what is Sleaford Mods now? And I don't... Th- think wanting to change people's minds is something that has ever motivated me i just tell people i don't really care what they think and then i was like well shit where there goes that interview because i was wanting to talk to you about like you trying to motivate people so do you not do you you disagree with that quote do you not feel that uh artists have an opportunity to make an impact as she says or are you just not interested in that direction you just view your music personal expression and that's it or can can art produce some social change or social reconciliation in times like this do you think do you think it's like a bourgeoisie notion to think that creativity can change people's minds do you think it's a privileged point of view uh i'm I'm talking about the 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 middle classes here Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm talking Mm -hmm. about this perception of what punk is or what or what a, a, a movement of freedom is uh, uh of what a lobbyist message to the authorities is do you think it's fueled by this 
uh, bourgeoisie vision of a kind of unfeasible presence or an unfeasible result, which is change. Um, I, I, I largely don't think change is going to happen. Uh, and if it does, it won't be, it won't be for a long, long time. Uh, but what is change, firstly? Right. What will change be? What will you t- what what will you what will the utopia be? Right. Um, will there be a higher plane of consciousness? Because if there is, then there's surely going to be. Uh, is is chaos going to be stamped out? Is is the impulse of human nature going to be stamped out? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the darkness going to be stamped out? I don't think so. So we're always going to have that to play with. Do I want to change people's minds about what exactly? Mm-hmm. About about the evil government that aren't going to go away? No, I want to tell them about it. I don't want to change their minds about it. Do I think that people are largely full of shit and thick? Yes, but I'm trying not to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think the sprawling mass of people aren't bothered. I, I just want to shout at them. You know, I, I, I want to say my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. You're not but bothered. also at the, at the same time, at the same time, I'm taken in by consumerism. I'm taken in by product placements. I'm taken in by self-image. I'm taken in by possessions. Mm-hmm. I am a massive consumer. I'm a massive buyer of fashion. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I've bought into that culture. I, that's all I do mostly look mm-hmm. at things to buy, you know, mm-hmm. how, how is this any kind of template for somebody that wants to change people's minds? You know, mm-hmm. I'm a product of this society, but it just so happens that the message that we put across is one of consciousness about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That sounds like a, dis- a discouraging way to view it. Um, in terms of what would make social change, um, and, and you're right. I guess we could say, have we really ever made social change? We can look at things now and say this is an improvement to 100 years ago, and how did that happen? Um, maybe the consciousness changed, but at the end of the day, is it truly an improvement? Um, you know, uh, it depends on your scale. African Americans in America, they can ride on the front of the bus now. They're not segregated on the buses. But they're still, you know, three times more likely to be without a job, and you know, have eleven less times less the wealth of white people. So structurally, nothing really has changed. But your question, uh, rhetorical question, I assume in the very beginning was, was this a bourgeois notion? I, I would say this. This is funny. You said that because this is my next quote, a uh, question from I think this guy's name is I think it was a, a poet named Alex Caldera. But he said, artists have always been agents of cultural change. They can sway opinions, direct resistance, and reform. So they can apparently direct resistance. An art-based approach is necessary because it stimulates empathy, and empathy is necessary to achieve social and environmental justice. To effect real change, activists need to work through cultural means. So in sociology, we have this debate kind of like, if you want to change a society for the better, however you define better, do you change the economics of that society first, the politics of that society, or the culture of that society? And I went to a, a relatively Marxist sociology PhD program, and you know they they Marx just basically believe the, the the ruling class, whatever their culture is, that's the culture everybody's going to get, whether they like it or not. So changing the the culture is not going to do much. It's, you got to change the economic 
spear. But here's this poet saying, you know, maybe you, if you change people's culture first, that's the quickest inroads to actually making then changes that trickle down politically and economically. So it's not, you know, it's not a question that I really have, I, I necessarily bought into for a long time, but the more I've thought about it, uh, and the more I've seen people be inspired by art, whether it's music or other, you know, generally defined terms, um, I would like to hope at least, maybe I'm just burying my head in the sand, but I would like to hope that uh, motivating people on that emotional level might be, you know, might be beneficial. And yet I hear what you're saying that all that doesn't mean shit if you can't feed your kids, you know, and, you know, you, you're experiencing. I don't know. I don't know. You've got a point. You have got a point. I mean, I think. I think I became too uh, close-minded about um, being successful. The guilt, the guilt that I felt for a long time, it kind of sent my psychology in just one way, you know. Yeah. And that was, uh, I'm, I can't, I can't talk about these things anymore. So what am I going to do? Uh, but I got over that, and I think to a certain degree, you are right. I think. I think it. I think in some respects, yeah, it can influence people. The Wu Tang Clan influenced me. The Sex Pistols influenced me. The Jam. Uh, the Jam influenced me. All of these people were talking from the lower ends of society. That's what influenced me. Just, just the hopelessness of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't. I just. I, don't, I just don't know. I wouldn't. I've been so put off by, by, by appropriation and, and people not really meaning what they're saying yeah. that I, I got to the point where I thought it's not, it can't really change anything yeah. um, because largely the audience are buying into this dog shit. Right. And, you know, I don't believe these people. Uh, I know for a fact that they don't believe it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just entertainment and I got really cynical about it. So I don't know if it's something that I'll change my mind on as the years carry on, as I move into uh, the next part of my life. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm, I'm just not sure, mm -hmm. but I feel the more, I feel a, a solace in, in being able to inject a constant line of constructive anger into songs. Uh, that's the only re that's the only way I know I'm doing something right. Right. Uh, I don't know as as regards whether what it does to other people. I'm, I'm largely not bothered because mm -hmm. it, it's creative. It's a creative thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and as I've said, you know, I really am struggling with this cynical viewpoint of it changing anything because. Yeah. Nothing's changing. It's just getting worse. Right. Uh, and people are going on about the end of civilization, the end of capitalism. I, I can't see capitalism going anywhere for, for a long time. It just manages to adapt. It's always one, one footstep in front, isn't it? Or, yeah. or lots of footsteps in front. Yeah. Uh, clearly, you know. Um, you see people fighting back on it, though, you think? People are challenging it the, more now, you they're, think? They're, fight, they're fighting back, but they're fighting back. They're destroying themselves. They're destroying each other. They are aligning themselves with offshoots of capitalist preservation, whether it's fascism, whether it's whatever culture war that's going on, the wrong side of that culture war, you know what I mean? Yeah, All yeah. of these things 
trail back to capitalism and its preservation, you know. So, right. yeah, I got you. So I, I fight that. Know, too. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I fight, like, it, I fight it as well, which is, you know, why, partially why I do this blog is to try to give myself some, some hope, you know, that, that something's going to make, uh, not necessarily right this second, but eventually there will be fundamental change. And if you're not going against the stream, you're letting it pull you down the road, you know. So, like, there's no neutral when the system is set up the way it's set up. So if you're not doing something, do you think eventually there will be change? That depends on how you define it. As you pointed out, I don't see capitalism going away either. You know what I really fear, or I think might be the strongest change is environmental issues. Like I I think we're on a, a rough course with the way we are, you know, utilizing resources. Even if we stopped like carbon emissions tomorrow, it's going to be, in, you know, our, our no one's going to benefit for 70 years from that. Like there's so much out no, there. The planet, sure. I don't think the planet's going to die. I think our capacity to live, live a comfortable life anywhere on the planet itself is going to go. I, I, I think you've said somewhere, I, I remember researching this, you know, it's going to be like 25 billionaires and then all the rest of the people just scrambling for what's left. Like, I don't think that's sustainable. I think at some point, we, we're probably still unfortunately going down that road, but at some point, the Earth's just going to tell us to fuck off. You know, yeah, sure, the, sure. the virus will come or, you yeah, know, bacteria. Yeah, and, and, you know, yeah. that really kind of worry about that. Maybe not in my lifetime, but I don't know how to get powerful people to worry about that when they're 65 years old and all they're giving a shit no, about is another house. Yeah, but I don't yeah. know. That, that, that I think might force us to change, but uh, that's a ways off. I don't. Think. I've been looking at um, I've been looking at water over the last six or seven months in a different way. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, you know, when I when when I put the tap on and fill up my bottle mm-hmm. of water, mm-hmm. it 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 feels as uh, it feels as precious as the weekly food shopping. Right, right. It's start it's starting to it's starting to click with me that we're not, we're just not going to be able to do this soon. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it is, it is said um, something along these lines the thing is we need leaders a lot of people don't think about it and they're not bothered as you just mentioned Um, they want to live largely simple lives so we always need somebody behind the wheel so to speak where do you think these uh, these leaders could come from are there leaders in the government now Jeremy Corbyn types are artists going to end up being the leaders like where would the I agree with you but where would these leaders come from where do you see them emanating from I, I don't know well it goes back to what you were saying earlier about breaking it down um, creativity you know will chop things down change culture and in turn culture will change wages change it change the standard of living mm-hmm. perhaps that will bring out a leader yeah, yeah. Um, we are um, for, for, for Nobody's perfect. You don't expect them to be. I think Jeremy Corbyn was probably one of the best candidates for a more conscious way of running the country we've had for God decades since mm-hmm. since uh, the emergence of Margaret Thatcher. Even before that, perhaps. I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah. But um, 
I voted for him. He didn't get in because yeah. the country was uh, brainwashed with uh, with the press, you know, the right wing press. True. Um, it yeah. was ter- it was disgusting, really. So I don't know. I mean, you had an interesting point. You know, you've got to chip away, uh, and the foundations will come down. They'll be shorter. There'll be something new in place. Something else will seep through. It's the hope. Yeah, it is the hope. Um, it's really hard to detach yourself from yourself, isn't it? And yeah. especially in um, in a job like that, where you're getting paid probably 100 grand a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for a lot of people, that starts to draw in the magnetism of... Of, of 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 being a, a bigger consumer of right. of wanting nicer things for yourself and your family, you know. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, I can yeah. certainly understand that to a certain degree. It's a trap, but mm-hmm. you know we all fall for it. True. Uh, uh, for one of uh, you know bigger or smaller, but um, yeah, I don't know. You know, you always. I know it's a cliche, but you just need someone that don't give a fuck about any of that, um, mm-hmm. and will resist it, but. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. Last one, million dollar question. So if you could choose one thing, like a, a magic bullet to make what you would consider to be progressive change, uh, what do you think our starting point would be? What would the first thing, for example, in America, I would answer this question kind of like our, we have basically a political duopoly, as we talked about in the beginning, Republican, uh, Democrat, it, it doesn't yeah. matter. It's oligarchy either way. Yeah. So I, I think we need to do something about having more representation. That's just an example. Sure. But what sure. about you? Like what, you know, if you had to to say this needs to happen before anything else happens, can you put your finger on anything? And can art, one, isn't it? Yeah, and can, art, can art get you there? I think art comes with education doesn't it and you know your perception of things welcomes a lot more into it if it is conscious of those things or wants or has a thirst for knowledge i think education would be my thing uh-huh. um i would say better wages but what's the point in better wages if you're still gnawing from the same rotten apple you know yeah. um better wages is only a is a, it's not a permanent it's not a permanent answer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the whole system, it just needs to go. The mm-hmm. stru- every, it just needs to. Yeah. Uh, um, it, obviously, um, for, for us to reverse, reverse these, this cul-de-sac of a uh, psychology that most of us have got uh, and for us to become more connected to each other, to communities, to working with each other, that's another thing, isn't it? You know, nobody works with each other anymore. Right, nobody right. feels like they are contributing. Uh, people just are driven insane by, you know, uh, by, by by wage labor. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, it it would have to be education, but it's a tough one, isn't it? You need food in your belly. Sure. Uh, you know, you know that's gonna that's gonna make you happy. I, I think you know we we have mentioned. There's this movement to, to alter what people learn in school, which is always kind of like one of the first steps towards fascism is to control, you know, sure, what's being taught. Sure, so, sure. so there must be a fear that education is disruptive. 
right? Or they wouldn't they wouldn't try to control it. So maybe you know that that would be that gives some credence to that notion that it, you know you're right. People got to eat, um, but if the powerful structure is concerned about what students are learning and they want to rewrite history, then they must be concerned that learning something else could be threatening to them. Yeah. And yeah, so maybe yeah. that you know, good. Well, which thing. which it is, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, they're they're trying to conceal the rotten, you know, the rotten cake mix. Uh, you know, the yeah, yeah, the recipe, the rotten recipe is right, is right. forever trying to be concealed, isn't it? You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, imagine if everybody was given pupils at school were given in whatever language the first the first twenty five pages of. The one-dimensional man that by Marcuse, Marcuse as an example. Yeah, Marcuse, yeah, yeah. As an example, yeah. I mean, it just just flatly, coldly, mm-hmm. subtly lays down the yeah. hell of this society of capitalism, yeah. Um, yeah. and it doesn't even do it directly. But mm-hmm. the way in which Herbert Marcuse, yep, ha- casually puts down a few words that follow into a little bit of a realization at the end of the sentence is in, incredible. So imagine that. Imagine the. Right. Imagine how people would be. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like you said. You know, it's the same thing as uh, the carbon footprint of uh, uh, of all the carbon that it would take seventy years for it to eradicate. It would take two generations uh, for, for for us to go back to ground zero Mm -hmm. and for us to unlearn all of the things that have been Mm -hmm. uh sewed into us by state education by 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 the media by stereotypes by by marketing by by the allures of of lust uh Mm -hmm. blah 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 you know if Um, there was even a goal to do that and there's not even really a movement there is there isn't so yeah, you know, okay. it's, you. it's it is such a hellish existence in lots of so many ways, and it's so upsetting and and so completely heavy that the only salvation really is art yeah. uh, and creativity. Um, it that is the only salvation in some respects, and I think we've talked ourselves around to this, haven't we? It's it's um where you know when i had nothing and i was laying on a sofa in a friend's house i was paying rent on and i couldn't go out anywhere that the only thing i had left was pencil and pad you know mm-hmm. and that's what got me to where i am now and that's why i'm talking to you yeah yeah you know if yeah. if creativity doesn't influence uh, a nation then it can certainly at least make your own life better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's great. All right, that's a great spot to end. All right, thanks again, Jason. Have a great rest okay, of your day. Okay, all right. Yeah, you too. Nice <laughs> to me. Yes, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to an interview with Jason Williamson, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you did, please take a minute to follow, like, rate, and share the podcast in all the usual places. I want to thank Jason for his time and Claire Ormiston for passing on my interview request. She and I went back and forth for a few weeks, and she was instrumental in me getting this time set aside with Jason. I really do appreciate her help. And I very much enjoyed this interview. I've interviewed only around 20, 25 people since I started the blog, and I'm thankful for all of them. And this was one of my favorites. I didn't send any questions in advance. He just answered honestly and thoughtfully as we went. 
and had questions for me as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the interview, and I'll remind you that one of the purposes of this blog is to engage in public sociology, which tries to bring academic discussions out to the streets, so to speak. So please feel free to sign up for the blog and become a member, which simply entails creating a username and a password. Then you can comment after each post. At the very least, feel free to email me your comments, and I'll be sure to respond. Finally, the podcast included the Sleaford Mod songs, Kebab Spider, Elocution, BHS, and No One's Bothered. If you're feeling so inclined, you can push the yellow donate button on the homepage. And if you have any questions or comments, you can email me at jr at socialandscape.com. Thanks for listening.